Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Yes. I'm so glad to see those of you who are in the room today, those of you who are watching online, man, thank you so, so very much for joining with us today. Man, it's already been a great day. Our band was killing it today. Congrats, band. Thank you guys so much for leading us so well. We are starting a brand new series uh, today called All In. And I think as we go through this over the next few weeks, um, that you're going to see not only the heartbeat of God, um, but the vision that God has for our lives um, as people and uh, as a church as well. We're going to consider four qualities that are that are identities uh, markers of those who are in Christ. That's the Bible's word for that, in Christ. And they all begin with the letter I-N, um, like all in. So today we're going to be talking about I'm invited, and we're going to talk about I'm invaluable, and I'm influential, and I'm invested. So today we're going to start with this idea of being invited. I'm Invited. You know, one of the biggest, uh, best things in life, rather, is, is to get invited to, um, I don't know, a big party or a, a really high-profile wedding. Uh, I don't ever get invited to, uh, like, ch- like, citywide public events, but if I did, that would be pretty cool. Um, to get an invite to something that's exclusive. I remember uh, several years ago, um, I was invited to, uh, at, when I was a student pastor, I was invited to... Uh, speak at a huge conference for students, and I was, um, it was, I got this phone call, and the guy was like, hey man, we want you to come do this, uh, we're inviting you to come speak, and there was about 18,000 students that were going to be in attendance at this thing, so I knew this was a really big deal, this national conference that I was going to get this invite to, and I was blown away, I remember hanging up the phone going, you know, what just happened right now, like that was, it was a big deal, getting invited to something awesome is, is, is huge. Not being invited to something uh, can be crushing as well. You, you ever find out that you have a bunch of friends and they all went to a party or they went to something and you realize later on you didn't get the invite? Anybody ever have this happen to you? Like I have. And you, you remember that feeling, that let down, that kind of left out kind of feeling that you get. What a terrible feeling to not get the invite that maybe somebody else got. And I want to talk about that today. You, you know, at LifePoint, we have this saying, as a matter of fact, it's on the wall outside in the lobby, if you've ever been to our building before, that expresses our heart as it relates to uh, the weekend experience. We, we say, everybody's welcome. We say, nobody's perfect. And then we say, but with Jesus, anything is possible. You believe that this morning? Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. But with Jesus, anything's possible. And we take these three phrases from the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. Because with Jesus, everybody was welcome. He didn't make anybody feel like an outcast or that they weren't perfect. Like He, he, he was fine with that. And, and, and ultimately with him, though, anything was possible. You can go read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you'll see this truth happen over and over again that with Jesus, everybody was welcome and everybody was invited. But, you know, in the world that we live in, um, maybe now more than ever before, 
um, we, we, we have this strong pull towards what they call tribalism, um, to, to, to creating an us versus them kind of world. And, 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 and I don't know about the rest of the world, but in America, uh, it's as bad as I've ever seen it before. There, because this is the problem. When sin enters the world in our lives, it creates an us versus them. It's not bad to be tribal. God, God actually made us that way. But when sin comes along, when the fall happened back in, in Genesis, we started using the groups that naturally formed to divide the human race up. And there's a basic way that we divide people up. We, we say it's us and it's them. It's us and it's them. And, and the issue is that we tend to find common ground in our groups through outward expressions, outward filters, out superficial, uh, shallow views of who, who can be our neighbors or who can be in the in-group or who can be in our, our circle by the, way that we, by the way that we look, by the way that we dress, by the way that we vote. Come on, that's about to go down. Y'all excited about that? Said no one ever. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Especially this time, right? The, the, the economic situation, what we can see that we have in common with other people on the outside and that's how we decide who's in and who's out. What's more... We tend to get our, our sense of identity and our, our self-esteem from, from our, our in-group, whatever that is. And then we will tend to favor those are, that are in our in-group, us over the people that are not in our group. So we all do this us versus them. Think about it. We do it with politics. We do it around race. We do it around religion. We do it about finances. And how much pain and how much hatred and how much warfare has that caused in our world throughout history? Come on, right? But when it comes to God, who's in the in-group? You ever thought about that? Like, when it comes to God, who is, who is the us and who is the them, right? Which people does God identify with? Well, we find this out actually in the Bible, in, in the Gospels. And, and what we find out is Everybody is in the in-group. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited. This is not just a slogan. This is not uh, just a bumper sticker or a catchy phrase that we're going to stick on a wall out there, but it was modeled by Jesus himself. And I want to give you a truth that you're going to find all throughout the gospel story, that Jesus invites the people others reject. Listen now. Jesus will invite the people that other people don't invite, other people reject. No matter who you are and no matter what you've done, with Jesus, you're invited. Come on, somebody. And I want to show you this this morning with a couple of different stories. And I could have picked dozens from dozens of stories because this truth is represented all throughout the gospel text. So I want to start, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you're at home, get your Bible out, get your phone out, get your app out, whatever it is. Matthew chapter 9. It's interesting, Matthew 9. You read the first part of Matthew, those first chapters, and there's all of these things that Jesus, it starts at his birth, and then it quickly skips from his birth to his ministry. There's this gap of a lot of years. He, he calls some disciples in, but we don't, he doesn't call Matthew, who's the author of this gospel account, until chapter 9. And we're going to find it here. This is Matthew writing about his own encounter, first encounter with Jesus. So verse 9, as Jesus was walking along... He saw a man named Matthew 
sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, if you have your Bibles out home here in the room, you want to underline that. He saw, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. So Jesus, the teacher, in his day, he would have been called a rabbi, is walking around and he's choosing his followers. He's already picked four. He's, he's picked Peter and Andrew and James and John, but he's going to look for some more. He's going to end up with 12 ultimately. Now, in that day, a rabbi and a tax collector are about as us versus them like as you can possibly be, right? It sounds like the beginning of a joke back then, right? A rabbi and a tax collector walked into a bar, you know what I'm saying? But they didn't. All right, anyways, a tax collector uh, in that day was even less popular than an IRS agent in our day. Sorry if you work for the IRS. We appreciate what you do some way or another. Anyways, so the, the, the tax collectors get their position, the position of power to collect taxes by offering a bid to the Roman government for how much money they'll be able to collect from a given region of their area. So then very typically, in order to raise the, the, the amount of money that was being taken in, they would cheat, they would oppress their own people. These weren't Romans doing this. These were Jewish people doing this in the nation of, of, of Israel. And, and, and so they're enriching Caesar. They're, they're pouring money into the coffers of Rome's, but they're all, uh, of Rome, rather, but they're also enriching uh, themselves. So the Israelites hated them. They were like an abomination. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They were listed in all the bad lists that would be made, like these are the worst of the worst. A, a person who was devoted to God, which is what a rabbi was, would certainly not address them, would not eat with them, would not touch them, would not communicate with them, and would not even look at them. So when you're reading through the Gospels, I just want you to pay attention as you're reading. I'm hoping you're reading your Bibles a lot, y'all. Read the Bible. It's amazing what it'll do for your life. When you're reading through the Gospels, you often find these two groups that are listed over and over uh, together. Sinners and, you remember this? I'm talking about tax collectors, so that was the right answer. And like, you're, is it Jesus? Like, we're at church. Everything's Jesus, right? No, it's sinners and tax collectors. So, so just to make sure you understand what's going down in this story, how abnormal it is, we're, we're, I need to tell you this part. Tax collectors were considered sinners, uh, so why do they need their own category? Why isn't it just sinners? Uh, tax collectors and sinners. Why not just sinners? It's because tax collectors were so despised that even the sinners would be offended if they got put into the tax collector group. Like they don't, it's like, I might be a murderer and adulterer, but at least I'm not a tax collector. Seriously, this is how bad it is. So Jesus' first few followers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are fishermen. Also not super high on the sort of totem pole of society, but they're not tax collectors, right? So then Jesus is walking with these four dudes, and, and, and he sees this guy, Matthew, at his booth, tax collecting. These people have to come up and pay their taxes to him, and, and, and you know that Peter and the dudes are like, Jesus is going to work this dude over. He's going to get up in his grill and go at him hard. And, and, and they can't wait to witness them. But instead of doing that, imagine how stunned they are when this rabbi actually walks up to Matthew, looks him in the eye, maybe he puts a hand on his shoulder and says two words that will change the tax collector's life forever. He says, follow me. F 
follow me. What's happening is Jesus is tapping on him on the shoulder and saying, hey, Matthew, you're invited. I choose you. Now, this is a big deal because Jesus extends a formal invitation to this man. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, Matthew, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be friends with you. I want, to, I want to care about you and your life. Yes, I know what you do. Yes, I know the things that you've done in order to get here where you are. But I want you to be on my team. And everybody watching is stunned, right? This is, this is unheard of. Matthew is the man who's decided to go into the Roman-loving, Israel-cheating, tax-collecting, make-myself-rich business. Nobody who goes into business collecting taxes in that day uh, is going to follow uh, the, the rabbi, right? He'll probably laugh in Jesus' face. He'll maybe just audit him later on. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to audit you, right? But we're just told this, verse 9. So Matthew got up and followed him. What? He, he gets up. He doesn't ask any questions. He just gets up and he follows him. He leaves everything that's part of his past, his self-image, his identity, his pride. It doesn't even tell us if Matthew said anything at all. He just gets up and walks away from his job. Now, some of you are hoping that Jesus will come and help you walk away from your job as well. But hang on to it just in case. Just hang on to it, maybe. Um, but Jesus doesn't stop here because... I'm sure there was a gap. The text doesn't have a gap, but I'm sure there was a gap between, hey, Matthew, follow me, and what happens right after this. A little while later, he realizes, man, Jesus is amazing. This guy is incredible. He took a chance on me, but then Matthew gets this crazy idea. He says to himself, you know what? I've got a bunch of friends. I, I, I like them a lot, but they're tax collectors and they're sinners, right? This is exactly what the text is going to tell us they are. And they haven't been to church probably maybe ever, right? But I think they'd like Jesus. J Jesus just has this way with people. J just like the way he cared about me, a guy who never got invited to anything, I think he'd care about my friends. What if I were to throw a dinner party, a party for Jesus and my tax collector sinner buddies? I have this great house now from all of my tax collecting. Come on, somebody. I could buy all the food, the drinks, the, the, the supplies, the stuff. I have money, and I can have Jesus come to this party with my friends and let them hang out with him. I feel like if I could just get him together with, with them, he'd take it from there. And instead of using my stuff just for me, I could use my stuff to help others meet him. Which, by the way, is the best use of any of your sort of not your, your, deduct, your, your money that you're going to give away. I, I was going into tax mode there. I don't want to do that right now. You, you have to understand that these people that are going to get invited to this party have never been invited to a dinner party with a rabbi their whole life long. No way that this has ever happened. They're not on the list. The text goes on to say in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, let's stop here and let's think about what we've heard so far. One of the fascinating things about Jesus is that even, even though he was a righteous person, the, the most righteous person who's ever lived, he literally never sinned, never, not one time, never even thought about it, right? Even though he was a righteous person, he spent very little time with people who considered themselves righteous. 
Even though he, the Bible says, came from God, that he and the Father were one, that's what it says, he spent very little time pursuing relationships with the so-called godly people of the world, which seems strange on the surface, right? You think that the most holy, godly, righteous man in the world, when, when he comes, would, would hang out with and connect with the most holy, godly, righteous people around because of tribalism, because of that's what we do. We find people who think like us, act like us, look like us, vote like us, whatever, and that's who we decide to be around. That's what we do. So you think Jesus would do this very same thing. But in fact, in fact, the opposite was true. E- even more amazing and, and, and probably no doubt, a little convicting to me as a Christian is that when he showed up in the first century, the most holy, ungodly people, or sorry, the most unholy, most ungodly in the people in the, in, in the, in the area, they actually liked him. They actually wanted to be around him. Like, like I'll be on a plane or whatever sometimes, and the, and the question, or when I move into a, a neighborhood, I hate the question of, oh, so what do you do? Right, because it's like, well, I'm a pastor. Because I know as soon as I say I'm a pastor, they're gonna be like, well, he's no fun. Let's leave. Don't hang out with this guy. Like on a plane, hey, what do you do? You don't really want to know. Trust me. Because then they'll, they'll tell me a bunch of you know filthy jokes or whatever, and then they'll be like, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh dear God, what have I said to him? <laughs> it's fine, man. It's fine. It's totally fine. I promise. You, I'm just a regular guy. So so these people are like, he's a pastor. And we want to hang out with him, right? He'd have church wherever he was, and these, these outcasts of his society, they liked going to his church, right? Imagine that. E- even though they knew, we're never going to be as holy as this guy. We're never going to be as godly as this guy. He's in a totally different category than we are. They weren't intimidated to be in his presence, just as they were. Matter of fact, he didn't make them feel like they were other than or them or outcast at all. And so they weren't uncomfortable being around him. The self-proclaimed most holy, most righteous people in the community, on the other hand, didn't like him, didn't want to be around him. And they were put off even more so by the fact that he kept seeking out relationships with people who were nothing like him. They didn't like that. The sinners who Jesus hung out with were clearly social outcasts of the day. And anyone, because anyone who deviated from the laws of Moses and the traditions of the religious folk were considered inferior and to be isolated from, all of the religious people would not hang around with people that were considered sinners or tax collectors. And the most holy, godly man ever did. Now why? Why did he do this? Why do we read this story about him calling Matthew? Why would he put Matthew not only on the team but on the inner circle? Like, why would he do this? Why did did the sort of outcast, the oddballs, if I can use that word, of society, like Jesus, why did they always show up where he was and listen to him talk? Well, he answers this question of why he was attracted to people who were nothing like him. And why people who were nothing like him were attracted to him. He answers it by telling a series of parables, these stories that he would concoct to teach biblical truths. And here's what he says in Luke 15. There's a, there's a, there's a collection of three parables here of things that were lost and get found. And he starts off, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, there it is again. 
We're all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees, these are the religious people, right? And the teachers of the law muttered. I love the word muttered. Like, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. That's what they're saying. And they're trying to do it in a way that Jesus can't hear what they're saying, but he always would hear them anyways. It's, it's kind of scary. When they invite him over, this is what they're thinking. When they invite him over, when the center people invite him over, he goes. He, he invites them to come hang out with him. He, he seeks them out. What's the deal? Not only does he welcome them, but then he even goes into their home. Zacchaeus. Like, remember that story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Anybody sing that in Sunday school? Like that's a song where we were making fun of people's physical problems. And great Christian song, right? He was a tax collector. And he goes into his house and has a meal with the guy. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, Gentiles, adulterers, the sick, the blind, the demon-possessed, sinners. All of these people were oddballs to the religious community from a religious perspective. And, and the Pharisees, this boggles their mind, and, and they're asking this question uh, amongst themselves. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? And Jesus doesn't even, hear, doesn't even need to hear them because he knows what's in their hearts. That's what the Bible says over and over again. He knew what was in their hearts, which is kind of scary, like, Oh, wait a minute, I don't even have to say that loud. He knows already what's going on. So Jesus begins to answer their questions by launching into three parables of things that were lost, these grace parables. Verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you have 100 sheep and you lose one of them. You got 99 more, but you lost one of them. Does he not leave the 99? Does the shepherd not leave the 99 in the open country because they're safe and secure and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Does he not, because of grace, try to figure out a way to help the lost sheep find his way or her way back in home? And this is the perfect illustration of how God thinks about people who are far from him, who don't have a relationship with him, who are different, who are oddball in any kind of category. This is the perfect illustration of how God thinks about them. He's all about them. The, the, the sort of other than. And everybody in Jesus' audience, when they hear this, they're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we would do. If we have 100 sheep that are safe and one of them gets lost, we leave the 99 that are still safe, we go out and find the lost one. And then Jesus gives us this very fundamental point as we build towards him answering this question. And that is, when you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is secure. You focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is secure. When you lose something, think about this. When you lose something, and we've made this point before here, you don't take joy or comfort in, in what is unlost, right? You focus on what is lost. So if tomorrow, say, you wake up in the morning and you go to your roommate or your coworker or your spouse and you say, hey, I can't find my car keys. I've looked everywhere. And what if they say to you, yeah, big deal. You still have your car? And you go, oh yeah, I don't need keys. What's the, you know, forget the keys. You don't do that, right? You go still searching for the keys. When you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is not lost. And Jesus is answering their question that they haven't actually talked to him about just yet. Why do I connect to people? Why do I eat with? Why do I hang out with people? Why are people invited? Why is everybody invited with me? And, and why don't I focus on the ones who are already safe and secure? Why do I focus on the ones that are far away and not the ones that are close to me? 
So far in the parable, though, they're with him. Yeah, that's what you do. You go find the lost one. Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He goes home, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in that same way, this is, this is part one of three stories, in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I tell you that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who's outside than 99 who are, quote, inside. So what is the word sinner? He says, he keeps using the word sinner. Sinner is a person with a broken or a disconnected relationship with God. A person that is not close to God. Who repents, he says. What, what does that mean? It's a person who is heading one direction in life, but then turns around and goes back another way. I was going this way. I recognize the error of my ways. I stop. I repent. And I turn around and I go the right way. One sinner, a person who's broken and disconnected from God, repents, turns around, and points themselves towards Jesus. Changes their mind. Changes their direction. So Jesus is out looking at, his, at the corner of his eyes over here at the Pharisees who are listening in as he's coaching up his team, right? Okay, you guys are the found, so you think. And these people over here, these are the lost. But I hate to break it to you, fellas. But God's more excited about what's beginning to happen in the hearts and lives of these people than he is over all of you who've been righteous your whole life long. That perhaps God's focus is not on what's secure as much as it is, as it is on what has been lost. He's answering the question of why with him everybody's welcome and everybody's invited. So, so back to our Matthew story, which we started a minute ago real quick. Jesus is always trying, as you read the Gospels, trying to teach people why the people who are going, what is he doing? He's constantly trying to teach them why with him everybody's invited, particularly for those who never get invited and always get rejected. So Jesus is at Matthew's party. Matthew's got all of his wild tax collector and sinner buddies out hanging with Jesus. Now back then, back then, this party would have taken place in some kind of outer courtyard where people could have watched if they wanted to. They might not have been able to come in, but they could have stood on the outside looking in and watch. And that's what's happening here in the story. It's a public area. It's a public space. This group, there's a group that is watching Jesus interact with these people. And they think of themselves as the in crowd, the in group. They were the ones who were connected to God. They were considered godly men. But they couldn't figure out what Jesus was doing. So we're told in the text, verse 11, when the Pharisees, Remember, this is the religious people. Saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? There it is again. Jesus is a popular guy by now. He's gaining momentum. He's gaining popularity. He's doing miracles. People are blown away. People are attracted to him. People are following him. And there's all these tax collectors and sinners hanging around, and they're doing what they do. They're partying. partying. And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Like, why would I come here with a mission to seek and save lost people, hurting people, broken people, down and out people? Why would I do that and spend all my time with the people who think that they're already saved? Why would I do that? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. 
Like right in the faces of the tax collectors and sinners, he's saying, hey, they need a friend. They need somebody who will care about them. They need somebody to meet them where they are. Right? He goes on in verse 12, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a direct quote from Hosea 6. And then Jesus says, verse 13, for I have not come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. Say it at home, sinners, right? You can type in the thing as a way of identifying yourself in the comments. No, I'm just kidding, right? I've come to call the righteous, not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, let me tell you real quick, this is what he's saying. Let me tell you why I've come. Let me tell you why with me, everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. Let me tell you why, and it's not maybe what you think. It's because God doesn't divide the human race up into us and them. My father wants everybody to be us. My father loves everybody more than you can possibly imagine. My father aches after people who are far from him. I didn't come for people who are already connected to God. I didn't come for people who think they already know it all, right? Because I'm not gonna probably be able to help them much. I'm here for people who are or who have, who have drifted away and, and forgotten or been disconnected from God. And these friends of Matthew, these tax collectors, these sinners, not in just this story, but over and over again, uh, the, the, all of a sudden it starts to dawn on them. They start to realize something. Hey, we're the ones who are sick and need a doctor. We're, we're like the lost sheep that the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep for. We're like, in the next couple of stories, we're like the prodigal son who's wandered away from home and made a mess of his life. And the father's at the end of the road looking for us. Here's the most religious person in the world, the godliest man who's ever lived. God in flesh, in fact, and he's building a bridge to them. And they're drawn to him. And they're coming across this bridge, this gap between, between where they are and where God is. They're coming across this bridge of Jesus um, the, the, uh, through the ho- most holy, righteous man who's ever lived, and he's not judging them. In fact, he's welcoming them, and he's calling them sons and daughters. Even though, in his third story, even though this son that's coming home is covered in the filth of sin, the stench uh, 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 of, of his life, and he's telling them stories of acceptance so pure that the filthy, rebellious, worst-case-ever son in his third story is being hugged and kissed by the father who represents God. This is seriously good news to these people. A, a religious person isn't judging them, leaving them out, putting up stop signs, building barriers, building up walls between them, but instead he's building bridges that even they can cross. And it's almost too much for them to take in. They, they live in a world filled with judgment. They live in a world where people attach labels to them and categorize them, their, their goodness and their worth. And here comes a man who they say teaches with authority, who is not like the other teachers that they've ever heard. And he's saying, I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how imperfect your life is or your story is. I don't care what bad places you've ever found yourself in. I'm like the father at the end of the road who's looking to hug and welcome his wayward son home. I'll accept you just as you are, but I'll help you get better. And they're drawn to that. And even though the religious people don't accept his invitation, they do, and they can't believe they've been invited by God himself to be part of his family. And Matthew isn't the only one who threw a party. One day a Pharisee, one of the religious elite named Simon, 
and I'm hurrying to a close, invites Jesus over for dinner. This is a deeply religious guy. And Jesus decides to come because with Jesus, everybody's welcome. Everybody's invited. And, and while he's relaxing at this dinner for this fa fancy religious guy and his friends, something incredible happens. I want you to know, he starts with Matthew, sinner, worst of the worst. He goes to religious person. He's, he's no respecter of persons. He'll go anywhere where somebody wants to know something about him. And something happens incredible at this story. Luke 7, 37 says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She hears Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. By the way, the Pharisee's house is off limits to her. So she came there anyway with an alabaster jar of perfume. She's going to break it. She's going to worship him. She's going she's to wash his feet with her, with her tears and dry them with her hairs. Now, just for clarity's sake, when he says a woman who's lived a sinful life, he's saying she's a prostitute. That's what she is. You got to know that so you can understand that he's at a house of a very religious person and a prostitute comes in the house. She's uninvited. She's not been welcomed in this place, but she comes there. So imagine this, the Pharisees, the fancy people, the people who, who, who put everybody else into other categories. They're sitting in an outer room, just like in a courtyard, just like the other party was going down, talking probably deeply theological things, trying to confuse Jesus or trying to impress him, whatever. And this sinful person, woman, walks into this, un, this party uninvited. And these religious guys are not happy about this. This isn't right. She wasn't invited. She's unclean. She's impure. She's a sinner. She's one of those. She's one of those people. We don't hang around with those. We're us, and she's one of them, and we don't hang out with them. And this lady, she knows better than to do this. She knows the religious people don't invite people like her. They reject people like her. And I just want you to put yourself in her shoes for a moment. We don't know how she came to be a prostitute, but I can guarantee you she never dreamed as a little girl of growing up and having this job. Something terrible happened in her life, I promise you, that caused her to end up here. I don't know how she got there, but what we do know is everywhere she went, every day men abused and used her. And women would have glared at her, scorned her, talked bad about her. What I do know is she would have felt unloved. She would have felt ashamed. And she would have never, ever felt like she would have been invited to a party that involved a rabbi like Jesus. What I do know is she might feel like a lot of us, frankly. Not good enough, ashamed, guilty for where we've been, for what we've done, hoping nobody ever finds out who we are, wondering how we ended up where we are today. I never thought I'd be this way. I never thought I'd be whatever, estranged from my children, broke, homeless, uninvited to the family gatherings, uh, unable to pay my bills, addicted, trapped, divorced, whatever the word that you might use. I never dreamed I'd, I'd end up this way, a Cowboys fan. Come on, somebody. Just throwing that out there again, one, one year in a row, another year in a row. But why would this lady, an outcast in every part of society, risk coming to this Pharisee's house, walking through the town, because she heard Jesus is here. Through the crowds that would have gathered to watch Jesus hang out at the party, why would she part the way through all of that? Why does she do this? The text doesn't tell us, so we can only assume why. I'm guessing somewhere along the way, she's seen Jesus heal, she's seen Jesus teach. Maybe she even heard him teach about the prodigal son. Maybe she was outside looking in at Matthew's party. Maybe she was one of Matthew's friends that were actually invited to the party. And she realizes he's different. 
He's different than the other religious people. With Jesus, I'm invited. With Jesus, I'm welcome. With Jesus, you don't have to be perfect to be his friend. With Jesus, though, and here's why she's come, anything's possible. Anything's possible. She's gotten the message that with Jesus, you are invited into God's family. You are invited. You are welcome. You can come just as you are. Everybody who heard Jesus teach knew this. And so she comes because she knows with Jesus, I'm invited. And she comes and she pours out her love on him. Who's invited? Who's in the in crowd with Jesus? Who's welcome with Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, a couple of chapters later, Jesus says, come to me all. Everybody's welcome. Come to me all who are, who are weary and who are burdened and what? And I will give you rest. Can, 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 you, can you feel the, the invitation in that? Can you feel what's being implied in that? Come to, come to me, those of you who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come, come to me, those who are burdened down by shame. Come, come to me, those who are tired of trying and never living up to their own standards, much less feeling like you've lived up to God's standard. Come to me, those who've been rejected again and again by people, by relationships. Come to me, those who religion has turned you away. Come to me when you feel like you've got nothing left. Come to me when you've lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and doesn't know if you can go on. Jesus says you come to me when you're weary. You come to me when you're overwhelmed. And I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, he says. And that seems like, wait a minute, I'm already coming to you burdened and you want to take my yoke upon you? Take my yoke. You know what a yoke is? A yoke was made to tie two animals together so that they could help share the load. Jesus is saying, come take my yoke upon you and you and I, I'm going to help you carry your load. And when you take on my load, my load is easy and my load is light and you will find rest for your souls. You are invited with Jesus. Everyone is invited. And he keeps saying it over and, going, over and again. My father sent me to tell you how much he loves you. You're invited. And you're invited. And you're invited. And you're invited. Everybody's welcome. And nobody's perfect. But with Jesus, anything's possible. Come, he says, just as you are. Come. Come and find rest. Come and find healing. Come and find hope. Come and find sanctuary. Come and find the, the, the answers that you're looking for. Come and find my grace. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your story is. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hang-ups. Come to me with all the baggage that you've picked up along life's way. Come to me with your past. Come to me with, with when other people won't accept you, won't take you in, who might judge you. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come all. Come all who are weary. Come all who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Can we just pray? 
because some of you in this room, some of you watching online today, and maybe you're going to be watching this in weeks to come, some of you need to know that your father is the kind of God who runs, who runs to where you are. No matter who you are, he will run to where you are, and he will embrace you, and he will welcome you home. So, Father, thank you that with you, I'm in. I'm invited. I'm accepted. I'm welcomed. God, I'm not just welcomed, but I'm wanted. I'm wanted, just as I am. I can come to you, Lord Jesus, just as I am. All of my hurts, all of my hang-ups, all of my baggage. And here's the crazy thing, Lord. Some of us would call ourselves religious, but in our heart of hearts, we know. We know. We may do all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, we need you, Jesus right, wherever you are. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've never, even in this room today, you've never said, Lord, I want you to come and live in my heart. You can do that right now. I promise you, there's a knocking on your, your, your heart's door right now. Come, come, let me in. Let me in. I'll change your life. I'll, 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 I'll resurrect the dead things in your life. The, the brokenness, the dreams, I'll put it back together. Come, let me in. Jesus, we come. Empty-handed, open-hearted though. God, asking you to be the forgiver of our sins. God, we were walking this way. We're repenting now. We're turning and we're walking another direction. We're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the ruler and, 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 the, and, and, the, and the guide of my life. I want your Holy Spirit to come and live in me and make me brand new. I choose you, Lord. I hear you knocking. I'm, I'm hearing your invitation, and I'm saying, yes. Live in me, Lord Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my guide. I pray in Jesus' name. Brisson, real, real quick, before we go on any further. In the room today, if you prayed that along with us, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to see. Would you slip up your hands? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Those of you who are online right now, man, right in the chat there, just put, it's me, or put Jesus, or put whatever you want to do, hands up. We want to know, we want to help you take your next step. Amen. Hey, LifePoint, let's give all of these folks a big hand, would you? Come on, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.